Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Relove Podcast. This is Pastor Seth Yolorda, and I wanna thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to listen to this week's message. Our prayer is that it will leave you inspired, encouraged, and challenged as you grow higher in Christ. And I also just wanna ask that if this message is a blessing to you, that you would take the time to share it, to send it to a friend, send it to a family member so that they too can be blessed. Again, we thank you for taking the time to listen, and we pray that you are blessed. Good morning, and happy Sabbath, Relove Church. I want to welcome you back to church at home, and I just want to thank you so much for taking the time and worshiping with us today. Now, I recognize that you could be worshiping with any number of churches, as most of us are still sheltering in place, and you could very easily click your browser and watch another worship service. But the fact that you're taking time and really connecting with us, it means so much. And we just pray that through these messages that you have been blessed, that you've been inspired, that you've been challenged and stretched, and that you are growing spiritually in your own faith walk with the Lord. Now, obviously, we are still worshiping at home, and we're probably going to be in this setting for a number of weeks to come, Um, probably looking around August-ish before we actually um, see if we can transition back into our church building. But in the meantime, I really want to encourage each one of you all to, as you feel comfortable, to open up your homes, open up wherever you're worshiping at right now, and invite some of your friends and your family over as you feel comfortable. We really feel that God has called the church not to be in buildings, but the church is really any time two or three people gather together to really connect with one another in Jesus' name. And so when we say re-love at home, we really mean re-love at home, that you are at home and that your home actually becomes the place where church takes place. And so we want to invite you, if you have neighbors or cousins or family members or co-workers that you've been talking to, maybe it's been the people that you've been praying for. You know, we've asked that each one of you all would identify four people that you would be praying for who are in your radius. And we've been asking that you would pray for them. Maybe it's those individuals. Maybe you would just shoot them a text message and open your home an opportunity for you to really connect with them over the word of God, because ultimately God has called us to really leverage these, this season that we're in, this COVID-19 season, um, that we don't shut down, but that we actually move on mission, that we get off a of pause and we get on mission, and the mission of the church still has to go forward. And so we just really want to encourage you to do that. Now, we obviously have so much going on this weekend. As all of you all know, it is Father's Day weekend, and I would just be remiss if I did not take a moment and just give a a major salute and an applause to all of the fathers, um, the re-loved men, the re-loved fathers in our community, in our church. I just want to thank you so much for being a man in your family. I, as a father myself, recognize that being a father is not easy. You know, being a husband and a father, especially in this day and age, trying to work and provide for your family and support your family, trying to be the spiritual influence and, and strength for your family with all the pressure that men have on them. And that's not to take anything away from our ladies, but I just really think that right now our men, I just want to really salute you and just thank you for all that you continue to do for your families. And whatever it is that you need to do this weekend to just relax a little bit, listen, you have my permission, you know, as long as, you know, the missus signs off, whether it's playing around the golf or going down to the beach or whatever you want to do, sleeping in, I want to encourage you to do that and just take a moment to um, really just relax and, and recuperate on this Father's Day, this Father's Day weekend. In fact, I would love to just take a moment and just say a prayer of blessing over uh, the men and the fathers in our congregation um, today. I just really want to ask God's covering and God's grace and favor over you um, during this season. So let me just pray for you. you. Would you join me in prayer? Father in heaven, I just thank you for the gift of fathers that you have given our congregation, our church Um, Father, I thank you for each man that is watching and for the role that they are playing in their homes, in their families, in their communities. And God, we know that the devil has tried to, to a large degree, take men out of the picture. Um, We know that he has attacked the men specifically um, for 
trying to just undermine their abilities, undermine their strength, undermine the role that they are to play. But God, I just thank you for placing a hedge of protection around so many of the men. And I just pray that you will continue to let your grace and your favor rest upon every man in our church, every father in our church, that they indeed would be and continue to be the father that, that would be a model for their children and the, the husband for their wives. And maybe if they're single fathers, single dads, um, I pray that you would just continue to give them strength and patience and courage and wisdom as they are leading their families forward. Um, and God, for those who may not have their own children, but they are um, serving as role models and mentors and father figures in the life of, of other young people. God, I just pray your hand over them as well. As we are all striving to grow up in our knowledge of Jesus Christ and become fully mature believers, God, we just need a double portion of your spirit as the men to lead our families in righteousness, to lead our communities in truth, and to be change agents for good in this world. And so, Lord, I just pray for our men. I pray for our fathers. And I just thank you so much for them. Bless them, O oh God, is my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. So as many of you all know, we have been in this series called Pivot. And for the last really three, four weeks, we've been talking about how God is calling us to pivot. He's pivoting the church. He's pivoting us towards our community. Last week, we talked about how, you know, how God took a pivot towards us and how he wants to be with us. And we are continuing this series even right now because we are living in a very pivotal time. And that's where we get the idea is that because the times that we're living are in are very pivotal, well, in pivotal times, you have to make a pivot. And we've been using the basketball analogy all, all month long. We've talked about how if you're playing basketball and you know the defense is collapsing, the defense is coming to you, you basically have three options. You can shoot, you can pass, or you can dribble. But what you don't want to do is you don't want to pick up your pivot foot. You want to make sure that you keep your pivot foot so that you have options and you can move. And you want that when you're in a pivotal situation. And for many of us, we are facing pivotal situations. Everything that's happening in our community with the coronavirus and the social unrest and police brutality and Black Lives Matter and, you know, the political season that is upon us in the next, you know, four or five months, you know, November comes, the elections and the debates and everything that's happening around us. Literally, I was on a phone call just this week with someone who said, it just feels like too much. Like I am overwhelmed with everything that's going on. And I'm feeling that. And I'm sure many of you are feeling that. And it's really just it just really speaks to the reality that we are living in a very pivotal time in Earth's history. We don't know what's gonna to happen tomorrow. We don't know what's gonna happen next month. We really don't know what's gonna happen in November. Um, and so as a result of that, many of us are on edge. Many of us are worried. Many of us are fearful. And so what do we do in pivotal situations? Well, we have to pivot towards God. But this is also a special weekend, and really for the nation, but specifically for the black community, because this is Juneteenth. And many of y'all, you may not be familiar with Juneteenth. I was actually just introduced to what it was just a few years ago myself. Um, what Juneteenth is, is Juneteenth is the oldest nationally celebrated commemoration of the ending of slavery in the United States. And it dates all the way back to 1865. It was on June 19, 1865, that the Union soldiers led by Major General Gordon Granger landed at Galveston, Texas, with the news that the war had ended and that the slaves were officially set free. Now, what's interesting about this is June 19th, what we just celebrated, uh, the day that just passed, is the day that the, the last slave slaves were freed in the United States. It's like the Black Independence Day. And so you'll hear a lot of people in the black community say that June 19th is my Independence Day. It's Juneteenth. Now, what I find interesting is that uh, the Emancipation Proclamation, which was signed by President Lincoln, was actually signed two years prior. Two years, in, in January 1st, 1863, is when he signed the Emancipation Proclamation. That was the official legal document that set the, that set the slaves free, but it wasn't until two years later, or let me say it took two years for that document to be rolled all the way down to every state, to every county, to every little colony, and for the slaves to actually hear and understand that they were free. So June 19, 1865 is a very memorable day for a lot of individuals in the black community, and it really should be for the nation. 
And yet, it took two years for it to happen. It took two years for the official document, from the time the official document was signed, for individuals to really understand that they were free, primarily because there was a lot of resistance still on the different plantations. Slave owners didn't want to let go of their slaves. Some suggest that the reason why it took two years is because the, 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 the slave owners had made deals with the union to suggest that let us, let us get one more cotton harvest. Like before you come down and enforce this emancipation proclamation, let us just get one more season with the slaves or let us just do it one more time so that we can, so we can reap another harvest. And there's many different theories on why it took two years for it to happen. But I think what's most important, regardless of what the theory is, is that though they were free, there were still systems and policies and structures in place that kept them bound. Even still, after June 19, 1865, and the slaves were officially free, there were still systems and practices and policies and structures that kept them bound. We know this, and this is really largely what the current stress and frustration in our community, in our society is really about, is that even though members of the black and to a large degree, the brown community have been set free from this form of slavery, there are still injustices and systems and structures in place that are keeping people bound. You know, many of you all may have been hearing recently about this idea of the Black Wall Street. The Black Wall Street was actually a literal, literal city. It was a, a portion of Tulsa, Oklahoma, that was a Black-owned, Black-run portion of the city. And this was back in uh, 1921. So the uh, 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 Juneteenth, 1865. So what is that? Like 60 years later, it took the Black community about 60 years to kind of get on their feet. And many of them settled in this portion of Tulsa, Oklahoma. And it was really a thriving community. And from all accounts, they, it was like a self-sufficient community where the, the dollar stayed in that community. And, and they had you know, their own stores, they had their own schools, they had everything they needed. This black community was self-sufficient. Well, as the story goes, around May 31st, 1921, there was some dispute and essentially a band of racist individuals rode into this portion of Tulsa, Oklahoma, and they literally set the entire community on fire. The, the, the reports of how many people died are vary. Some say it was as few as 35 or 40. Some say it was as many as 100 to 150. So there's still a lot of ambiguity and a lot of confusion about how many people died. But what we do know is that when the black community had finally gotten on their feet and established their own source of income and their own stores, there were still systems and policies and practices and hatred that would not let them succeed. And they went in. And under the guise of some fabricated, made-up story about someone whistling or talking to someone else, a black man talking to a white woman, they went in there and they destroyed this entire community. And it wasn't until a few years ago that people really were talking about it. It was really a, a black eye, a sore thumb um, for the Tulsa, Oklahoma community because of what happened. As I was just th thinking about that this week and just kind of reflecting on everything that's going on in our community, in our world, I couldn't help but think about how this same principle has played out in our spiritual realm and in our spiritual lives. Where Christ has come and on Calvary, Christ literally declared, he literally wrote, he literally signed the Emancipation Proclamation. On Calvary, Christ, literally, with, with blood, he signed that you are now free in Christ. You no longer have to be bound by sin. You no longer have to be a slave to sin. You no longer have to be a servant of sin. You are set free in Christ Jesus because of what he did on Calvary. But even though the emancipation proclamation and the deliverance of, of your soul from the grip of sin and that you no longer have to be a slave to sin, even though that was done on Calvary, many of us still haven't fully received the word that we are free in Christ. Many of us are still living under 
systems and policies and structures and practices that are keeping us bound and enchained to sin in our lives. And just because we have been freed from sin doesn't mean we know how to live free from sin. I see this in playing out in many of our lives. And if you're honest with yourself, I'm sure you see this playing out in your life as well, where you know kind of like cognitively that yes, Christ has delivered me. Yes, Christ has set me free. Yes, Christ paid the penalty. Yes, Christ did a great work on Calvary. But the work of Christ on Calvary hasn't fully translated into victory in your personal life. You are still wrestling and you are still battling with addictions and abuse and, 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 and lust and pride and envy and, and all manner of evil and sin that still takes over the depression and anxiety. We are still battling with the reality that many of us feel like we are still bound and in chains to sin that we don't fully understand and realize and have actualized that we are free in Christ. And because we are free in Christ, we now have a great and high purpose. We now have a great and high calling in Christ. I once heard someone say it like this, the greatest tragedy in life is not death, but the greatest tragedy in life is a life lived without purpose. The greatest tragedy in life is a life lived without purpose. See, we live having accepted the reality of what he did on the cross, but many of us have never stepped into the call of freedom that he has extended towards us. Do you know that you have a calling on your life? I, you right there looking at me right now, watching on your couch, do you know that you have a calling on your life. That God has called you, and I'm not talking about a career. I'm not talking about a job. There's a difference. A career can be the vehicle for your calling, but I'm not talking about God has called you into a career. There's many of you all who may be nurses or doctors or teachers or lawyers or, 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 or some form of educator. Some of you all may be, you know, you know working in different jobs. I'm, I'm not talking about how God has called you into a career or God has called you into a profession or God has called you into a job. No, 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 no. There is a calling on your life. And what I want us to understand today is that because God has placed a call on our life, when everything seems to be going wrong in society and everything is like haywire and everything is out of control, you and I, we have to pivot towards our high calling. We have to pivot to what God has called us to do. Otherwise, we will get distracted and, and frustrated and filled with anxiety, will be overwhelmed. If we try to handle the situation, if we try to deal with everything that's happening around us and our own strength, and we don't pivot into the one thing that God has called us to do, we will feel defeated and, and, and overwhelmed in and of ourselves. You have to pivot towards your call. In fact, I think as I was just thinking about this, like Jesus, clearly Jesus had a career and Jesus also had a calling. Jesus's career was he was a carpenter. That was like his job. That was his trade. We may not go so far to say it was his career, but it was definitely his job. And then he pivoted from his job to, to his calling, which was to be the savior of the world. Paul had a, had a career. He, he had a job. Paul was a tent maker. But Paul also had a calling on his life where he was called to be an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter and the disciples, many of them, they had careers. They were fishermen. But when Christ stepped in, they pivoted and they were not just fishing for fish, but then they pivoted towards their calling and became fishers of men. Last week, we talked about Matthew, how Matthew had a, had a, had a career. He was a tax collector. But then when Christ stepped in, Christ pivoted Matthew towards a higher calling. He, Matthew became one of the disciples and he wrote literally the book of Matthew. He pivoted towards his calling. And what's so funny is that in John chapter 21, you'll read about how Jesus has been persecuted. He's, he's, he's died. Uh, he's, in the, he's in the tomb. The disciples are distraught. And it's interesting because the disciples, they actually pivot back towards their career. 
that when they're going through crisis in a pivotal time, they pivot back towards their career and Jesus shows up on the, on the, on the, on the, on the banks of where they're out fishing. And he's like, listen, why are you all out here fishing when I've called you to be fishers of men? Pivot back towards your calling. All I'm trying to get you to understand in this moment right now is that God has a call upon your life and that in this pivotal time, you have to pivot towards your calling. Now, I know, like, some of you are saying, well, okay, God has a call upon my life, but, like, what is the call upon my life? Like, how do I know what it is? Well, let me just, let me just actually rewind and say like this. So God has a call upon your life, but I think some of you all, either one, you don't know that God has a call upon your life, so you're just kind of living your life, you're paying bills, you're raising your family, you're going to school, you're going through the motions of life, you're a good citizen, but you don't really understand that above everything that's going on in your world that, that God has a specific call on your life. So that's some of you, that applies to some of you. Others of you all out there, you know God has a call on your life, but you're kind of too scared to step into it. You feel like, well, what is me stepping into my call going to require me to let go of? And I don't know if I want to let go of some of my comfort because a lot of times when God calls you into something, he's actually calling you out of something. And there's many of you all right now who are watching and who are listening and God is calling you into something and you don't want to leave what he's calling you out of. And so you try to, like Jonah, run from your calling. You think if you just ignore it and ignore, 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 that it somehow it's going to go away. But I want to tell you that the call of God never goes away. And then there's another, some of you all out there who you just, you just misunderstand what calling means altogether. And so for the rest of our message today, I really kind of want to unpack this idea of calling so that you can be very clear at the end of this message what God's call is for you. I don't believe that God's call is ambiguous, that you got to try to, you know, fast for 40 days before you can understand it, that it's something that you got to plead for him to reveal to you. Like, no, it's not that deep. God's call is very simple to understand. So let's break it down. So number one, God, the way I like to understand it is that there's essentially two calls upon us. The first call is what I say is a general calling that every single one of us, every man, woman, white person, black person, brown person, uh, 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 Asian person, doesn't matter who you are, your color, your class, where you're from, how much money you make, you don't make. There is a general calling that God has placed on all of our lives and that general calling that he has placed on all of our lives is the same. And that general calling is that God has called all of us into relationship with him. That no matter who you are, where you are right now, understand specifically for you that God has called you and God is calling you into relationship with him. I mean, the Bible makes it clear, and I love how Paul says it. Paul says it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. It says, God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his son. Like, like, get this. Like, get this in your spirit. God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his son. He has actually called you into relationship. It's almost as if you are standing outside of my house, and I call you into my house to come inside and to come into fellowship with me in this room. Well, God has done the same for you. He has called you into fellowship. Peter says the same thing, but he says it a little bit differently in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him, watch it now, who called you out of darkness and into his light. I want you to get this, that God has called you out of darkness and into his light. So there is a general calling upon all of our lives, and that calling is into fellowship. That calling is out of darkness. That calling is into light. And with that general calling, there is some other smaller callings that come with it. It's like, so as God is calling me into his fellowship, he's calling me into holiness. 
He's calling me into, into uh, 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 celibacy. He's calling into, into sobriety. God is calling me into bearing fruit. He's calling me into light. So I, I just really want to make sure this is clear, that when I say that there is a general call that God has called all of us into fellowship. That's why Paul says in Ephesians, I think it is, he says, make sure you, believer, walk worthy of the calling for which you were called. That because God has called you into fellowship, make sure that you walk worthy of that calling. It's almost as if, you know, think of the person that you respect the most, that you look up to the most. It might be a celebrity, it might be a politician, it might be a world leader. I mean, just, just imagine that person that you respect the most. And if that person calls you over to their house, you've never been to their house before, you've never had dinner with them before, but they call you over to their house to fellowship with them. And then they say, hey, let's go out and let's go downtown and let's walk around and let's just, let's go visit you know, some of the stores. And so now you're out walking with this person and your mind is blown. You're like, I can't believe it. I'm walking with this person, I'm talking with them. This celebrity, this politician, this person I have so much respect for. You you would want to make sure that you carry yourself in a way that reflects how, 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 how special you feel, how honored you feel to be in this person's presence. I know for me, if, if, if Barack Obama, President Obama called me and said, hey, Seth, I would love to just connect with you. I would like, it would be truly an honor to come and to connect with you. And if you're watching, don't hesitate to give me a call. Like, like, like I would make sure that when I went into his presence, like I would want to walk worthy of the call. I wouldn't want to get up there and be acting a fool and, and, and just, just saying things that didn't make sense or, or just not carrying myself in a way that reflected the gravity of that moment, that I am in the presence of someone who really made, played an influential role, not just in my life, but in the life of so many individuals in this country. So when Paul says, Walk worthy of the call. God has called you into fellowship. So if God has called you into fellowship, that the number one call upon your life is to be in relationship with God, to be in relationship with Jesus Christ. And because he has called you into fellowship with him, walk worthy of that call. What does that mean? He's saying, don't get caught up in the streets. Don't get caught up drinking and carousing and sleeping around. Don't get caught up lying and cheating and, 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 and being a person who doesn't have integrity. Don't get caught up in pride and, 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 and lust. Don't get caught up in all of these other things. Walk worthy of the call. Stick your chest up, shoulders back, chest out, head up, and know that you are in the presence of God because he has called you into relationship. Uh, don't get me wrong. It doesn't mean that we can't have a good time. It doesn't mean we can't laugh. We can't joke. No, all of, no, no. Be who you are, but carry yourself understanding that there is a call upon your life and that God is calling you into relationship. And this is something that is so important that if God has placed a call on your life, if God is calling you, then it's because he wants you. That if God is calling you to come, it's actually because he wants you. I, I, I know it, it, for some of you all, it might blow your mind, right? Because I know that there are some of you all out there right now who you feel like, oh, you're no good, you've done nothing good, all, your life is bad, your life is horrible, you're worth nothing, you have nothing, and you feel like, oh, you know, what, what am I worth? But understand that God has placed a call on your life. He is called, he's calling you into fellowship. And because he calls you, he desperately wants you. I don't want you to miss this. If God calls you, it's because he wants you. Now, it's your decision and your choice whether or not you're going to come. Like, see, I, I want you to get this, that just because God calls doesn't mean you will come. Okay, so I could very simply, it happens to me all the time, right? I can call my daughter. In fact, I'm just gonna call my daughter right now. Uh, Millie! Millie! Mill! Millie Mill! Ain't, ain't that just like some of us? <laughs> God calls. And he calls, and he calls, and guess what? We're not listening. But, but I'm, listen, I don't want you to miss this. 
Because just, God call, just because God calls once and we don't hear and we don't respond doesn't mean he doesn't stop calling. No, he keeps calling. Millie, Mill. So we call, God calls. And for some of us, it, it, it's, it takes a little time for us to respond to the call. Mill, please come. Okay, so, so, so Lisi is here too. And they come, they come primarily because I have called. And if I wouldn't have called, they wouldn't have come. And my whole point is to simply say that Jesus has called you into fellowship with him. He wants to be in relationship with you. And if he calls you, it's because he wants you to come. However, it is your decision, your choice, whether or not you are going to accept the call. There's something about the call of God that for every single one of us, he is calling us into fellowship. Now, there's a lot of reasons why we don't accept the call. Some of us, have, we've accepted the call up here, but it hasn't, we haven't accepted the call down here. And the reason why we haven't accepted the call down here is because maybe we're discouraged, we're distracted, we're caught up in something else that's going on. Clearly, my daughters, they're upstairs and they're playing and they're probably super engrossed in their toys, their blocks, their super book, whatever their, their Daniel Tiger, whatever they're watching. And so they can hear me call, call, call over and over again, but then they can make the choice that, yes, I hear you, but I'm choosing not to answer because I'm distracted. And for so many of us, we are distracted. We're distracted by everything else that's going on in the world. We're distracted by the priorities and the jobs and the careers and the, and the finances and our health. We're distracted by the social un unrest and the political scene. We're so distracted that the first thing we do when we wake up is we check our phones because we have to see what's going on in the world. And guys, like, like, no, the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning is don't, get, don't pivot towards the world or pivot towards your career. The first thing you do when you wake up in the morning is pivot towards your calling. Pivot towards fellowship. Come into my presence. And I'm inviting you into my presence because I want to spend time with you. God has a call, a, a general call for all of us out of darkness and into light. And we have to be willing to make that transition from darkness into light. And once you make this, this once you accept this call, I, I love how Paul really illustrates this in Ephesians because there's a general call over all of our lives. But then in addition to this general call over all of our lives, there is a specific call uniquely just for you. And we want to get into it. So in Ephesians in chapter two, verses two through 10, actually one through 10, I just want to read this and I want you to follow along. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter two, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. So Paul really frames this thing really well for us. He says, listen, I want you to understand that, that there was a day when you were like so bad, so far off, so sinking deep in sin, like your mind was gone, your heart was gone. And you might think, well, that was never, that was never me. I was never like that. Well, it, it, if it doesn't sp speak specifically to you, then it's also speaking just in general to humanity, that there was a day when we were so far gone that we were just out there. Paul says that we would just live according to our own passionate desires, our own inclinations of our sinful nature. We did what we wanted, when we wanted, with whomever we wanted. It was our very nature. We were subject to God's anger. Like there was nothing good in us. Paul says there was a day when that was the case. But then I love verse four. Verse four says, but God, but God, who is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised us from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. So Paul says you were dead, but God stepped in, not because of anything you've done. He didn't call you because you were good. He didn't call you because you were perfect. He didn't call you because you had something to offer him. He called you because he loved you for nothing, no benefit of, to his own other than to be in fellowship with his children. 
He says, but God, who is so rich in mercy, loved us so much that even while we were dead, he gave us life. He raised Christ from the dead. That life that when he raised Christ from the dead, he gave to us. And then the question is, well, why would God do this? Like, why would God be so kind, so merciful, so generous that he would call us when we have nothing to offer him? Well, verse six tells us, verse six says, for he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly places or heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. And he did it, verse 7, so God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ. Let me just break this thing down, right? Because we just said a lot. Paul is essentially saying that you were dead, you were sinking in sin, and you had nothing to offer God. But because God is just a good God, because God is just a merciful God, because God is just a loving God, he's saw us sinking in sin. And God says, I want you. I want to be in fellowship with you. I want to be in a relationship with you. And so God called us from where we were into relationship, into fellowship. And the reason why God did it now, it makes sense to God. And I just receive it. God says, the reason why I did this is so that I could show the rest of the world how good I have actually been towards you, my children, how merciful God's like, I did it. So basically I can show you off. Like we are God's prized possession. God, it's almost like you go to a, a, a pound and you and you get a, one of those rescue dogs and you give it a bath, you give it a haircut, and then you take it to all your friends and you show off, like, look at my dog. And it's like, why would you do that? Because I'm just so proud of this dog. I love this dog. And the fact that you did that to the dog, it really makes you look good as well. And God is essentially saying the same thing. Like, I've rescued you humanity and I'm now showing you off to the entire world and allowing my mercy, my incredible wealth of his grace and kindness be shown to all like Christ is showing us off. He says in verse eight, but God saved you by his grace when you believed and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Now, I don't want you to miss this, right? This is powerful. Paul is saying that God rescued us. He dusted us off. He cleaned us off. He polished us up. He set us in heavenly places with Christ next to the throne of God in heavenly places. He shows us all off to all of the universe so that all of the universe can see what God has done because of his insurpassing grace and his, 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 lab, his love that he has for us. He's done all of this. And then Paul says, and then Paul says, for we are God's masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece. That word masterpiece in the Greek actually means poema. And poema is the, is the, is the Greek word. It's where we get the word poem from. It's almost like Paul is saying that you are God's poem, that you are his prized possession, his masterpiece, his poem that he created in Christ Jesus. And the reason why you are his masterpiece, he's like that he created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do good things that he planned for us long ago. So, so God has a general call, which is for us to accept him and to be in fellowship with him. But then God has a specific call. And that specific call is for us to do certain good works towards God. We are his masterpiece. It's for us to do certain good works for, for God, towards God. Now, at this point, I would suggest that all of us have a, a different specific call. The general call is to be in relationship, to be in fellowship, but the specific call would, will manifest itself differently. So we know that some, you know, have been called to be apostles and some have been called to be prophets and some have been called to be teachers and some have been called to be uh, 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 shepherds and some have been, have been called to be evangelists and some have called to be administrators. Like we know that there are, there are giftings that God has poured out and that there are positions that God has within the body of Christ that he calls us into. We know this because Paul talks about how, 
He was called to be an apostle. He was called to take the gospel to the Gentiles. So we know that there's a specific place and a specific role that God has for his children in the work of God, in the ministry that supersedes our career. So your career might be that you are a nurse, but your calling, it kind of overrides you being a nurse and you being a nurse is just the vehicle by which you accomplish your calling. But in order for us to get to this point where we have clarity concerning our specific calling, our specific purpose that God has called us into, we first have to accept the fact that God has called us into fellowship. Like it's almost like first base is general calling, second base is specific calling. Like if you don't, if you don't, if you don't get through first base, if you don't accept the realities, accept the truth that Christ has set you free and you choose to fully accept him, you'll never make it fully into really stepping into the specific calling that God has in your life. If you are still wrestling with doubt and insecurity and fear and, and, and just uh, um, an unawareness of God's purpose and God's general purpose for you to be in fellowship, if you feel like, man, uh, who am I and why does God love me and what does he want in my life? And if you're wrestling with that basic truth, then it'll be very difficult for you to have extreme clarity concerning the specific call that he has over your life. Because that specific call that God has in your life, is, it's cradled, it, it's nestled, it's buried in relationship with him. It's buried in fellowship with him. And if you can't have fellowship with him, then you won't be able to find the gem that God has there in store for you, the thing that God has really called you to. And you will spend your entire life wandering and working and, and, and climbing the, the career ladder and getting promotions, but never fully understanding what am I here for? What am I called to do? So when I look at the life of Christ, when I look at the life of Paul specifically, I see in Paul an individual who Paul had some issues. He had some, some, some stuff that he, that, that he was jacked up and he was messed up. He was persecuting the church. God came to Paul and God said, Paul, I'm calling you. He met Paul on the Damascus road. Paul was blinded. Paul accepted this relationship, this fellowship with Christ. And then Christ said, Paul, I'm sending you out now into the Gentiles to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Paul had to accept the general call for his life before he could accept the specific purpose and calling that God had uniquely designed for him. Another example of this is in Luke in chapter 8. In Luke in chapter 8, and I'm not going to read the whole text, but I would encourage you to read it when you have some time. In Luke in chapter 8, and maybe you can read it with your family once the worship is over, service is over. Luke chapter 8, starting at verse 26, he, he encounters this man who, who his mind is gone. He's cutting himself. He's crying out. He's been in caves and tombs and no one can control him. He's been to psychiatrists and medication and they've tried to control him. But his mind, like I said, is just his mind is gone and he clearly is demon possessed. And when Jesus shows Goes up on the scene, this man runs out to him and Jesus asks the question, what is your name? And the man responds, not the man, but the demons respond. They say that we are, we are legion for we are many. And Jesus starts having a conversation with the demons and Jesus eventually casts the demons out of the man. And when he casts the demons out of the man, the man is now in his right mind. He's now sober. He's now can, 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 can think straight. He's now in control of himself. And this is what happens in Luke chapter eight. The Bible says that after this man has kind of been freed from these demons, these demons are gone. The Bible says in verse 38 that the man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with Jesus. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. Now, I, we may rush this text, but I want you to get it that this man is demon possessed and, and, and though he's demon possessed, Jesus sets him free. He comes into fellowship with Christ. And now that he's in fellowship with Christ, he says, Christ, I want to walk with you. I want to be with you. I want to stay with you. And Jesus's response to him is no, 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 no. Don't stay with me. I have a call upon your life. I want you to go and I want you to be the first evangelist to your region. I want you to go and I want you to tell everyone what you have done, what you have heard, what you have seen and spread the word of me to your family and to your friends. Jesus had a call for him. He called him to be an evangelist. 
But he could not accept that call of an evangelist until he was freed from these demons that were plaguing him. And he had entered into fellowship with Christ. My point is simply that God is calling us into fellowship with him. And that there is something very specifically that God wants you to do, but we will never get it, y'all. Listen, we will never get it as long as we remain disconnected from the Father. We have to remain in fellowship with him. And as we remain in fellowship with him, seeking his face, it is in that fellowship that the call of God, the specific call of God upon our life becomes clear. And we then pivot towards that call. That call might be in alignment with your career. That call might be different from your career. I don't know. But one thing I do know is that when it comes to fully understanding the call of God upon your life, it's not something that you have to look for. It's not something that you have to seek after. It's not something that you have to try to find. The call of God will find you. That when you make the decision to accept the relationship and to step into fellowship with God, and you make the decision to pivot towards your calling, your general calling. I'm going to come out of darkness. And I'm going to come into light. I'm going to step into who God is calling me to be. I'm coming into fellowship, into relationship. I hear him calling. I'm not going to be distracted. I'm going to run into fellowship because he wants to be with me, not because of something I've done, but because of who he is. And when you accept that call upon your life into relationship, it's when you begin to step into relationship with God that God will begin to reveal his call. Too many of us are trying to understand what does God want me to do? What does God want me to do? What does God want me to do? Not very clear that God primarily wants you just to be in relationship with him. Just love me, God says. Just spend time with me. Be in relationship with me. Fellowship with me. Just, just be light wherever you are. Don't worry about if I'm calling you to, to, to a different city, a different country, a different community, what to do. Don't worry about that. That will find you. God will reveal his will to you in time. What you need to do is just pivot towards time with God. And so God has a call upon all of us. And he's calling you right now, no matter who you are, where you are listening to this, God wants to call you into relationship. He wants you to understand that the Emancipation Proclamation was broken, was, was signed. It broke the back of sin on Calvary. And he has now set you free in Christ, free to be in deep relationship with him. And that if you pivot towards that primary call, calling you into fellowship, it's in the heart of that fellowship that he will reveal the specific call that he has for your life. I think about the call that God has for my life. Some of you all might say, well, pastor, you know what your call is. You're a pastor. Oh, yeah, okay, okay, I got you. Yes, I am a pastor. But my calling on my life is much bigger than me being a pastor. Me being a pastor is just one of the manifestations of God's call upon my life, God's specific call upon my life. God has also called me to help churches. God has also called me to be a, be a, a, a father. He's called me to be a husband. God has called me to be, to be a, a brother. He's called me to be a son. God has called me to, um, to be a good friend to my friends. God has called me to be uh, a neighbor, a good neighbor to the people in this community. God has, he has multiple specific calls. God's call in your life now isn't just for you to move and go live in China or South America somewhere or, or to Africa to be a missionary. It might include that, but for most of us, no, God's saying, I just want you to be light right where you are. And that the call of God, the specific call of God, the general call is consistent. He always wants to call us into fellowship, but the specific call of God upon our life can shift and change based on the season that we're in. And so right now I'm in this season where God's saying, God, Seth, I want you just to focus on being a father. That is the call I have upon your life right now as to be a husband, to be a father, to be a pastor. But it might not always be that cause. My daughters get older and they grow and, and, and things change, seasons change. God's saying, Seth, I want you now to transition and the call I have for you in this season is for you to do this. And the call can shift. The calls will come and calls will go. But the one that remains that God wants us to be in fellowship. And this is what I wanna say as we close, is that when you understand the call of God on your life, the primary call, which is to be in fellowship, the devil will do everything to distract you from that call. He will do everything to try to get you to think that God doesn't wanna be in relationship, that God's not calling you, that you don't hear God's call, that you're distracted, you're busy, you're frustrated, you're overwhelmed. He will do anything 
to discourage you out of stepping in to your primary calling. But what I want to do is appeal to you and admonish you like Paul admonished the church. Make your calling and election sure. Make sure that you know I am called to be in fellowship. Uh, this is the most important thing every single day. The most important thing I can do today is not balance my checkbook, not, not, not sign this document. No, no, no. The, the most important thing you should do every single day is to pivot towards your calling in Christ. Your calling towards into fellowship. That is the most important call upon your life. And so I want to pray for you right now. I want to pray that God would remove distractions and God would focus you and that you would right now, wherever you are, that you would step into and continue to renew the call that God has placed on your life to be in relationship with him. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that you have called us, that while we were sinking deep in sin, that you've called us out of darkness. You've called us into light. You are, you have polished us, brushed us off. You have made us your masterpiece. I thank you, oh God, for what you have done and the work that you are doing in each one of our lives. And God, my prayer is that each one of us would just step into the call that you have for us, the call to be in fellowship with you that we would hear you speaking, calling our voice, and that we would pivot towards the calling. Lord, I pray that we would not get distracted. I pray that we would not be turned away. I pray that we would not be, get caught up and overwhelmed or feel like we don't believe God, that we would hear your voice and that we would follow you wherever you go. God, I thank you for the call. Please, Continue to call until all of your children respond and that we can all be in fellowship. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Family, I pray that you are blessed, have been blessed. I want to encourage you to go back and to read Luke and chapter 8, verse 26. Take some time right now with your family and just read through it and to see how God brought deliverance to the demoniac and how he then sent him to be uh, an evangelist into that area. I would encourage you to also read um, Romans in chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 verse 28 through 30. We didn't get to it today, but Romans chapter 8 verse 28 talks about how if God chose us, then God called us, and God has justified us, and God will glorify us. I mean, it's beautiful. It really shows you the nuance of God's call upon our life. I would encourage you to just take time and really, really step into relationship and step into fellowship with God. Don't let this Sabbath day, if you're listening to it on Saturday, maybe you're listening to it on Sunday or one day in the future, don't let this moment right here pass without you renewing your call uh, and your fellowship, your, the, the calling of God on your life into fellowship. Don't let this moment pass without you stepping into fellowship with Jesus Christ. Thank you for worshiping with us. I'm praying for you. And by the grace of God, I'll see you next week.